0: I don't know about you, but that song—if I just sit in it, 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 there's some weight to it, isn't there? When we are reminded about God's love and how fierce that is for us—I so I love that song. Um, I'm Megan Truax. I am one of the pastors here at Gateway, and um, you get me this morning. So, and I'm very excited. Oh, thank you! Even if you didn't applaud, I am excited to be speaking. And the reason I am is because um, we're in a, our series called Stirred, and uh, about a month and a half ago, um, just to kind of tell you how I arrived where, what I'm, with what I'm talking about today, about a month and a half ago, I was woken up in the middle of the night, and uh, about 4 a.m., about 4 which I know for some of you might be a wake-up time, or close to wake-up time. For me, it's still middle of the night, <laughs> so I'm trying to go back to sleep and um i, I couldn 't go back to sleep and was just started praying and and God brought this this one phrase to my mind along with a scripture passage and I was kind of like eh, i don 't know what to do with that, but it was the same week that Scott and Adam had asked some of us to um, think about what God was stirring in us to share with with our people and and what he was doing and so as the, the week wore on, I, I, it just stuck with me. And so I thought, well, I think, I think this is God's stirring in me. This is how God speaks. And so um, this, is, this is what we're going to talk about today. And, and the phrase is this, God is more concerned about our holiness than our happiness. So, and, and before you go I don't know about that statement, okay? So I'm gonna ask you to really tune your ears this morning and stay with me, okay? Because, I, I, and, and I wanna clarify here that I, I don't think that God is saying, oh, I know he's not saying either or. He, he's not concerned about holiness and not about happiness, but I want, I want us today to just kind of camp out with that statement that he is more concerned about our holiness than happiness. God desires purity in our life, Rather than us pursuing happiness, holiness is the goal to become more and more like him. And so as we think about our lives, if we're following Christ and we've, decide, we've made that decision and to commit ourselves to him, then we should be able to, to look back and go, okay, this year I'm a little more blank. I'm a little more loving than last year. I'm a little more gracious than last year, I'm a little more merciful than last year, right? The, the The word holiness means to be set apart to God, and it's a process. This isn't a destination. It's not somewhere where we arrive, right? We, we we're not going to be perfect, but God calls us to pursue holiness, and if if we want to go there with Him, He promises to lead us there. And so today, I, I just want us to kind of think about that statement, and I want us to think about our starting point, because I think that is where we have to uh, begin. We have to evaluate what our starting point is, because I think oftentimes, I don't know, if you just think about your, the last week of your life, okay? Think about the conversations that you've had this week. Think about the conversations that you've had with, with your kids. Think about discussions you've had with your spouse or, or, or a close friend, Think about conversations you've had during the week with your coworkers, okay and, and I don 't know about you, but a lot of times I hear in, in these conversations what 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 comes out is um, well, I think God i mean we, just for an example a job job decision I think God would want me to be happy, so i 'm going to go ahead and take this job it It, it pays more or, or or whatever, or sometimes when we're talking with our kids, even if we don't say it out loud. In in the back of our mind, we're thinking, we just want our kids to be happy, right? And so our starting point, Mike says, no, no, I don't want my kids to be happy. I think sometimes when we're having those conversations, those things are in the back of our minds, that happiness, right? And in the moment, happiness feels like something really tangible that we want to go after and we want to pursue. And I would venture to say that God says, it's the wrong starting place. Have to start with God, You have to start with me. And again, that statement about God being concerned, more concerned with holiness is is the two are not mutually exclusive. They're not an either or. But God says, if you follow me and you start with me in the way that you make decisions and in the conversations you have and in the time you spend with others, I promise you there's blessing and joy and satisfaction and happiness that comes with that. Do we see the difference between the pursuit the pursuit of happiness versus the pursuit of holiness and, and I know again, I mean I, I just can think of lots of examples. I remember in my twenties in, in your twenties you 're figuring out who you are you 're dating you're you 're um, in relationship, maybe you 're thinking about a serious relationship or you 're thinking about marriage and I had a lot of friends. Um, Along the way, Christian friends who went to Christian college with me or whatever, and I would hear them say things like, it's okay. I'm sure that we're just going to move in together. It's just easier that way. We're going to figure out if this is going to work or not, you know, or he's just going to stay the night. You know, I had a roommate who said that he's just going to stay the night, not a big deal. Right. And so when we start with the momentary happiness, we miss out On God's best for us, that that's that's what that is. It starts when we when we have that line of thinking. It starts and it ends with happiness, and God is more concerned with holiness. And so let let that be our starting place. Let that be our starting place, because at the at the very crux of it, at the very bottom, God is a holy God. He hates sin. He doesn't tolerate it. He doesn't desire to coexist with it in our lives. And so that, that's the starting point. Our God is a holy God. And so today we are going to just camp out for a little bit in Isaiah 44. If you want to turn with me, we're going to read out of that passage and it says this it says but now listen o jacob my servant and israel whom i have chosen thus says the lord who made you and formed you from the womb who will help you do not fear o jacob my servant and you jeshurun whom i have chosen for i will pour water I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. And they will spring up among the grass like poplars by streams of water. This one will say, I am the Lord's. And that one will call on the name of Jacob. And another will write on his hand, belonging to the Lord. And will name Israel's name with honor. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last and there is no God besides me. Who is like me? Let Him proclaim and declare it. Yes, let Him recount it to me in order. From the time that I established the ancient nation and let them declare to them the things that are coming and the events that are going to take place, do not tremble and do not be afraid. Have I not long since announced it to you and declared it, and you are my witnesses? Is there any God besides me, or is there any other rock? I know of none. Now, I, I love scripture, um, and, and here in Isaiah, the writer of Isaiah is, is giving us a little scripture sandwich, Um, I think there's some fancy seminary word for it, but I I don't remember it. So we're just going to call it a scripture sandwich. Um, But we've just finished this first section where God is declaring who he is. He's reminding through the writer of Isaiah who he is to his people. Just in case they forgot, listen, O Jacob, my servant. And what does he proclaim about himself? He proclaims about himself that he is the creator. He says it. Multiple times, I made you and I formed you. Not after you were born, I formed you in your mother's womb. It also says, and and, and something that he's proclaiming about himself is that he's the chooser. It says multiple times that he has chosen Israel, he's chosen Jacob, and we can take from that that he chooses us as well. I don't know if you were ever in PE choosing teams. Is this a sensitive subject for anybody? it is for me. I was never the first chosen, right? Um, And so anytime in some sort of, you know, Red Rover choosing situation, um, I was always glad when I wasn't the last chosen, right? And so being chosen and being chosen first is a good thing. And God chooses us. And so he's the chooser. We are his chosen, And then the the, the last part of that, um, those verses in verse uh, 3, it it starts talking about his um, blessings and provision that are poured out for those who are faithful to him. If we look in verse 3, it says, I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. So we can, here are some promises. He's proclaimed who he is, creator, chooser, someone who's going to help us. It says, I will help you. And then he begins talking about the promises that we can stand and count on. I will pour out water on a thirsty land. Think about a big tall glass of ice water in the summertime on these hot days or or lemonade or whatever it is, what's satisfying. He's going to bring us satisfaction. That's something that he promises. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessings on your descendants. He promises that He will be present, and he will provide blessings on those that come behind, which if you're a parent, you you, you recognize this is what you want for your children, right? Something lasting for your kids. And then in verse 5, it says, This one will say, I am the Lord's, and that one will call on the name of Jacob, and another will write on his hand, belonging to the Lord, and will name Israel's name with honor. Writing Writing the Lord's name... I belong to the Lord, and so it's something else that God promises in this passage of Scripture is identity. When we know who He is, and we're faithful, then we can go. No, I'm okay with saying belonging to the Lord. I want to belong with Him because He's my Creator. He's my chooser. And so, after this passage, it goes on to, for Him to say, "Man." This is who I am. Who is like me, right? And and just a few chapters before, um, it says, who's like me? There's no equal to me. And so over and over again in Isaiah, we see this this, um, declaration of who he is, and he does not have rivals. So then we go on to the other part of our little scripture sandwich in verse 9. Let's read this passage. It says, those who fashion a graven image are all of them futile. And their precious things are of no profit. Even their own witnesses fail to see or know so that they will be put to shame. Who has fashioned a God or cast an idol to no profit? Behold, all his companions will be put to shame. For the craftsmen themselves are mere men. Let them all assemble themselves. Let them stand up. Let them tremble. Let them together be put to shame. The man shapes iron into a cutting tool and does his work over the coals, fashioning it with hammers and working it with his strong arm. He also gets hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and becomes weary. Another shapes wood. He extends a measuring line. He outlines it with red chalk. He works it with planes and outlines it with a compass and makes it like the form of a man, like the beauty of man, so that it may sit in a house. "'Surely he cuts cedar for himself "'and takes a cypress or an oak "'and raises it for himself among the trees of the forest. "'He plants a fir and the rain makes it grow. "'Then it becomes something for a man to burn. "'So he takes one of them and warms himself. "'He also makes a fire to bake bread. "'He also makes a god and worships it. "'He makes it a graven image and falls down before it. "'Half of it he burns in the fire.' Over this half, he eats meat as he roasts a roast and is satisfied. He also warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm, I have seen the fire. But the rest of it he makes into a God, his graven image. He falls down before it and worships. He also prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. They do not know, nor do they understand, for he has smeared over their eyes so they cannot see, and their hearts so they cannot comprehend. No one recalls, nor is their knowledge or understanding to say, I have burned half of it in the fire and also baked bread over its coals. I roast meat and eat it, but then I make the rest of it into an abomination. I fall down before a block of wood. And in verse 20, it says, he feeds on ashes. A deceived heart has turned him aside. And he cannot deliver himself nor say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? And so, in this section, this middle section of scripture, we see this incredible contrast to the passage that we read in the beginning, right? In verses 1 through 8. In verses 1 through 8, where God is proclaiming who he is, there is none like him, he's the chooser, he's the creator. Here in this section, it, it describes a craftsman. A man, a human, who's crafting things in his own power, his own strength, right? And so the contrast there is really interesting. Um, first of all, the craftsman, it says in, in verse um, in verse 12, 13 and 14, it, it talks about how he gets hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and becomes weary. And again, in a couple chapters right before that, in, in Isaiah 40, verse 28, it says that that the everlasting, the Lord, the Creator, never grows tired and never grows weary. But the craftsman is limited by his own humanness, if you will. The other thing about this passage and it, it is just taking note of how many times he talks. It says himself right? It says that he warms himself, he cuts the wood for himself, he eats it himself, and he makes it into his own image. And so we just see this picture of of a man trying its best to create something in his own power, in his own strength, but that which has limits. Again, a contrast to the creator God that we know. And so, as it goes on in verse 17, it, it says it, it, he makes the rest into a God. And so in, in verse 16 and 17, he's using something really common, right? Wood. And he's, you know, making a fire. He's baking bread over it. He's feeding himself. And just with the rest of it, he's going to make an idol. You know, no big deal. No big deal. Just a common thing. And so th- this this passage kind of describes um, and and not in a funny way, but it's, it is kind of humorous when you read it and you go, what does he think he's doing, right? In verse 20, it ends up and he says, he feeds on ashes. A deceived heart has turned him aside and he cannot deliver himself nor say, is there not a lie in my right hand? And I don't know about you, but as I'm reading this and thinking about how ridiculous it is for man to be thinking, okay, I'm going to just fashion something on my own. And then I'm going to end up bowing down to it. Right. And I, I love just kind of like the, the night I was laying in bed and I'm, and God gives me that, that phrase. And I'm just like, what is, is that for me? <laughs> Who's that for? Who me? Which is, you know, pride. Cause God's like, yeah, this message is for you. And so when I read this and I think, oh gosh, in verse 10, it says, who has fashioned a God or cast an idol to no profit? No, not me. I can't even. I don't know how how to work with wood, right? That's not me. I don't do that. But then, when you go along in that passage and you land on verse twenty, I think we have to just pause there with that those statements. He feeds on ashes. A deceived heart has turned him aside, and he cannot deliver himself nor say, "Is there not a lie in my right hand?" It didn't start there. It didn't start with him bowing down to it. It started with him baking bread feeding himself, warming himself, and then with the leftovers, he crafted something. And so a, a, about a week and a half ago, as we paused right there with that statement about, is you know, he got to this point where he could not deliver himself. The thing that he made could not deliver him. And he couldn't even look at the thing in his hand and say, is this not a lie in my right hand? And last week, I was taking out the trash at the church office um, it, from my from my office, which is you know I'm responsible for and as i'm taking out the trash, my trash can it, it sits on the side of my desk and it's about this high okay when I took out the trash that day, the trash was up here, and my trash can is filled with mostly papers but a lot of times I eat lunch at my desk, and so there's you know old banana peels and uh, Mr. Goodson's wrappers with you know old lettuce and tomatoes and that sort of thing. Just uh, just a collection of goodness. And as I'm as I and I, there's not a bag in it for whatever reason. I know where Lori keeps the bags. I could go get a bag. Why is there not a bag in my trash can? I have no idea. But I'm I'm, I'm struggling with this. And there's like a light bulb that goes off, and God says this is, this is your sin. Okay. I I cannot remember the last time I took out my trash. That's why it's piled so high. And I do remember at different times, kind of just punching it down so I could fit more trash in there. Why would I do that? I don't know. But in the moment it seemed like, well, I've got other things to do. So I'm just going to punch it down. And I felt like in that moment when I was taking out the trash, God said, this, this is your sin this is it. For whatever reason, you ignored it on the side of your desk. You thought it was hidden, and it was for a while, but then it started piling up. And I just ignored it over time. I was too busy, had better things to do, probably more important things to do. And all the while, I'm like typing or meeting with families, and my trash is piling up. Now, my husband was horrified when I said that I was going to share this story because he's thinking. Why just take out your trash? Why are you gonna tell everybody you don't take out your trash? But this is the whole thing that God was speaking to me was just saying, Why don't you take out the trash? When you could have taken it out, when it wasn't a big deal, but you decided that you were gonna wait and you were gonna keep stuffing more in there. And who knows? Maybe it was smelling. I don't know. I was just tip typing away. And who, there's, a, there's a banana peel rotting, right? I mean, people could have been coming into my office and, ha, and, and smelling this stench. And God's like, hey, just, just get the trash. Get the trash and take it out. And I think when we look at this passage and we go, well, how did that happen? How did, this, how did this craftsman all of a sudden find himself bowing down to something? Well, it didn't happen overnight, right? And I think sometimes in our life, when something starts really small, and over time, when we don't look at it, when we avoid it, when we don't address it, it continues to just live there. And then it begins to rot like a banana peel and old lettuce, right? And so this, this craftsman has this thing in the right hand. And I think today what God is asking us is, what is in your right hand? What, what is it? What is it that, that raises itself up against the place where God should have in your life. And I'm not talking, let me be clear, I'm not, a lot of times it's like, oh, you know, that's not me, or I don't struggle with these big sin. No, an idol can be anything. It can be something good. But when we don't give God the place that we need to in our life, this thing in our right hand becomes the thing in our life right this this right hand has significance in scripture if you if you think through some of the scripture like in Hebrews 12:2 it says that Jesus endured the cross scorning its shame to sit down at the right hand of God so there's there's meaning to this this phrase right hand there's a place of significance and importance and authority That's where Jesus sits down with kings. That's where the important people got to sit, to the right of the king. In Matthew 25, Jesus, um, the son of man, is separating the sheep and the goats, right? Those those who are taking care of the, the prisoners and the sick, he's separating the goats and the sheep, and he's saying that the sheep go to the right. Again, there's a place of significance there. And then in Old Testament, sometimes we see with with blessing, we see a father in in Jewish culture um, putting their right hand on their son that they're giving the blessing to. It's a place of honor, favor, blessing, authority. And I think God is asking us, what is it that is in our right hand? What is it that you've... You've allowed to sit there, and has become this place of authority, this place of of significance in your life. So much so that God is no longer what you're pursuing. You're you're pursuing the thing, and like I said, it doesn't have to be some big, big thing. and it doesn't have to be bad. For for me, when I over the last couple of years, um, I have just recognized f- food, right, has an unhealthy place in my life. It's been a struggle for me. And so I've had to look at it and go, okay, that is in my right hand. That's one of those things that instead of going to the Lord on a hard day or stressful day, or when I'm mad at Adam, I go to food. Like that's an unhealthy thing. It it raises itself up and takes the place of God. Food is not bad. It's for our sustenance, right? And we can enjoy it. But when I put that much significance and authority on it, it's in the wrong place. And so I don't know what that is for you. I mean, it, it could be anything. It could be the facade of control, right? It's good to be self-controlled. It's, it's good to be responsible. But sometimes in our right hand is this idea that we need to control everything. We need to control how our kids' lives go and we need to control how things at work go and we need to keep control and we need to stay under control. And God says, no, that's my job. You gotta trust me. Or maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it is a person that it, God has given as a gift in your life, but you keep turning to as a replacement and substitute for who God is supposed to be in your life. I, I, I don't know what it is for you, but the question today is what is in your right hand? And that that is the first place that we start. When we're talking about pursuing holiness and we're talking about... Um, pursuing, becoming more and more like Christ, we have to first acknowledge what is in our right hand. We have to acknowledge the thing that is separating us from God. And like I said, it's not, a lot of times we go, well, yeah, I'm good, I'm better than that person, I'm doing, I'm doing okay, you know, I'm, I'm, our marriage is better than that, that couple, or, or whatever, right? It, it, that's, that's ridiculous. We have to go, God, what are you asking of me? What is growing in my life or in my marriage or in our relationship that is raising itself up against the knowledge of you? In verse 21, we turn um, again to the other part of this scripture sandwich, and it says this, remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant, I have formed you, You are my servant, O Israel. You will not be forgotten by me. That phrase gets me because um, how often are we so mesmerized by the thing in our right hand that we forget him or we stop pursuing him? And he says, and he promises here, even when you are forgetting me, I will not forget you. I will not forget you. In verse 22, it says, I have wiped out your transgressions like a thick cloud and your sins like a heavy mist. Return to me for I have redeemed you. I don't know if you've ever been driving in the morning where the, the, the fog is so thick, you can't see very far out. But God says, I, I, don't, see, I don't see your sin anymore. I don't see your sin anymore. When I look at you, I don't see the things you've done. I don't see the idol you've made or created. I see you, the one who I chose and created. And it says, return to me for I have redeemed you. And that's the second thing. After we acknowledge what is in our right hand and acknowledge that thing that is separating us and just causing some space. We may still be going to church, going to life group, getting involved, doing great things. But that thing that separates us, after we acknowledge what that is in our life, that's separating us from God or causing distance in our relationship with God. Then it says in verse 22, return to me for I have redeemed you. And a lot of times in our minds, we go, okay, I, I know I've done wrong or, 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 we, we kind of acknowledge it and we kind of shrug our shoulder at it and keep going. And God says, no, I want you to return to me. I want you to turn away from that thing that you've been mesmerized by, or that has, has, has grown up with this, this, um, this appeal to you. And I want you to return to me. Our first inclination, I think a lot of times as humans is to, is to run the other way or to just go, eh, okay. I'll just, I'll kind of say, I'm sorry as I'm, you know, I keep on going the same direction. And I feel like God is saying, I want you to take out the trash, but let's, let's not, let's not keep doing this. Let's not keep stuffing it. Let's not keep looking like the rest of the world deal with it. Acknowledge what's in your right hand and then return to me. He wants that relationship. And then in verse 23, it says, shout for joy, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout joyfully, you lower parts of the earth. Break forth into a shout of joy, you mountains, O forest and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and in Israel, he shows forth his glory. In verse 24, it says, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, and the one who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord. I am the maker of all things, stretching out the heavens by myself and spreading out the earth all alone. And so again, in this scripture sandwich, we see God beginning and end with that funny little picture in the middle of that craftsman. God saying, I am the creator. I am the maker of all things. I don't need tools. I won't grow tired I am the creator, and I picture him a couple, um, well, yesterday afternoon, Nora and I were decorating our stroller with red, white, and blue fringe, because this is what you do when you have a child, and there's a Fourth of July parade in your, your neighborhood, which she was grumpy about the whole time, so it's like, okay, why did we do this? But we were decorating it, and um and she was helping with the tape and she said uh, and, and upstairs dad was putting together her big girl bed and so she said mommy i need to go help daddy build things and i said well i need your help with the tape and she got really close i'm not going to get close to you Jamie, but she got really close and she put her hands under my chin and said you can do it by yourself mommy you can <laughs> which i'm like this is precious also I see God doing that to us in this this last section where he wants to go, hey, don't keep stuffing. Don't run away. And he gets real close to our face and says, I still choose you. I won't forget you. Return to me. Return to me. And he speaks tenderly to us. So then after we read this, And we acknowledge what's in our right hand and we return to him the next thing that I think we have to do when we look at, okay, how do I continually pursue this holiness so I don't let this distance grow? I don't want to do that again. It's like God's saying, just let's not go here again. I don't, let's just, just take out your trash. Take it out. If you want to turn with me to Romans 12, we're going to end here. Chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. So when we look at this, this scripture and it talks about the mercies of God, when we spend time, we have to ask ourselves, okay, how do we do this on a regular basis, right? When we spend time with God and we, we get close enough for him to put his hand on our face and we remember the things that he's proclaimed to us about who we are, we ha- we're able to see a little more clearly, aren't we? And so we have to consistently go there, consistently look at who he is, looking at scripture. When you're in conversations or, or, or having dinner with another family, reminding one another who God is helps us do that. This verse allows us to say, okay, we, we need to renew our mind and set it on pleasing God. So often when we set off. Maybe with really good intentions for happiness. We just end up with a bunch of ashes on our face. Right? From, from Isaiah. Walking around going okay this is going to satisfy me. This is going to take care of it. I'll try this. And God says no. I, I want to give you something that's satisfying. That's lasting and enduring. And so come to me, and in this passage it says, okay, we have to repeatedly submit and yield to God. And it It says, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. So obviously this is a change from the system in the Old Testament when they had to bring unblemished animals as a sacrifice. And and, and in this, this writing it's saying, no, bring yourself. God wants us. Bring yourself as a holy sacrifice. Acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. You don't have to lay down in front of food. You don't have to lay down and bow down to that person in your life. You don't have to bow down to your kids even, right? Those are gifts from God. This is your spiritual service of worship, Meeting with the creator. And then in verse 2, it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That phrase, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, in, in the language, the uh, re- language it was, Scripture was written in, is an ongoing action, which means we have to repeat it, right? That's how things we stop things from growing into something without even recognizing it. We don't want to hold things over here and, and avoid it, right? And so we have to continually meet with God and go, okay, God, reset my mind on you. Reset my mind on you. And so when we think about how do we, how do, we do that, we, we, we immerse ourselves in Scripture, we meet with other people who are going to remind us who God is. We ask people, I know this is crazy, but we ask people to hold us accountable. If you know that your tendency is to have something in your right hand, if you look back and you go, okay, yeah, I, this has tripped me up before. This has been the trash that's piled up in my life before. Go ask somebody to hold you accountable to it. That's how we pursue holiness. We say, God first. I'm going to pursue that first instead of momentary happiness. Because believe me, I don't know about you, but every single day is a struggle and a battle. There's temptation. There's things that are fighting for your attention. Our culture isn't really about holiness. And I know that word kind of has attached negative meaning to it, but it means set apart to God. And our culture and our world around us isn't really helping us get there and this passage in verse 2 says be do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and the purpose of that is so that you may prove what the will of God is that which is good and pleasing and perfect. And so one of the other questions is who are we trying to please? Is it ourself? Is that our starting point or is our starting point God? And so today I want us just to take a little, a few minutes to, to ask some questions of ourselves. Um, because I think again, for me, you know, when God first gave me that phrase and reminded me about this, this, this passage in scripture where we can be holding something that has become an idol, you know, my first inclination is like, what is that in my life? Right. And so you can easily say, well, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. But I think when we sit for a while and allow God to speak into our life, he allows us the time and the mind space and the silence to go, okay, this is what it is. I can acknowledge it now. And then I can return to him. And so in your sermon notes are some questions. And I'm going to ask you to um, just take some time to reflect on those. What is it that's in your right hand? What have you been ignoring that over time has become an idol in your life? What gets in your way of pursuing obedience and holiness, moving more and more like Christ on a daily basis? What is God asking you to do in response with what he has stirred in you today? And maybe it's, maybe it's not the, any of those questions. Maybe God made another phrase or word stand out to you this morning. But I'm, I'm going to ask you over the next couple of minutes to just sit and to, to pray and to think of these questions and to jot down things that God may have made out, stood out to you. And Adam's going to play some music and so just sit with those questions and write as you need to.